Welcome, welcome, guys. We're back for another episode of The Lock-In. I'm David Lappin. I am joined by four-time best-selling poker author, Dara O'Kearney. Dara, I, I can say that now. I think uh, I, I was a day or two premature on the last show. Yeah, you were a little bit premature last time. Uh, and uh, I promise I won't hold this book up for the entire <laughs> It's episode. like a helmet interview. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'll start moving other stuff up with my hands and I'll wear a cap in a minute. But yeah, the fourth book is finally out. And I actually, as you can see, physically have it in my hands now, which which is not a given because uh, we've had problems getting it to Ireland um, from Amazon uh, because of Brexit. So ironically, the country that I come from and where probably the highest proportion of people want to buy the book um, haven't been able to, although uh, Amazon France and Amazon Germany do ship to Ireland. Um, so it hasn't been a complete lost cause. It just makes people want it more, Dara. It's the uh, it's the Cartman thing of uh, you can't you can't have us. Um, well, look, this week we are joined by another esteemed author. He's a writer. He's a podcaster, although not for a while. And all round poker media guru. He is the director of media and player communications at the World Poker Tour these days. He is the multi GPI award decorated Lance Bradley. Lance, welcome to the lock in. Uh, thanks for having me. That's a, a great intro. I do appreciate it. I don't have a I don't have a book to hold up. I, <laughs> I know we were using props. I would have grabbed one. But. <laughs> well, you say you don't have a book to hold up, but you do have a book. In 2018, you published The Pursuit of Poker Success. So you are no stranger to this uh, book writing process. How much tougher was it for you to write a book when you didn't have a co-author like Barry Carter to blame for any mistakes? I mean, no, I, I got to just take all the mistakes and I gave all of the credit in the world to everybody else that was kind enough with their time. That's how that works. <laughs> well, back to you, Dara. I know we talked about the book on the last Chip Race episode. Well, we're checking out that one, by the way. It's the episode starring Brad Owen, uh, if anyone hasn't checked it out. But I want to ask you one follow up, actually. Uh, you said to me last week that you had this growing sense that there was a demographic of players who genuinely want to engage with GTO material and concepts, but have found it a bit too intimidating. You have a hunch that your book might be giving them their first way in. Yeah, and that's really been reinforced when I've gone out and played live and just the type of people who've been coming up uh, to buy the book. They're not the type of people you would expect necessarily. You know, a lot of them are older recreational players who've been around the game for a long time and they've kind of heard about this GTO stuff um, and maybe they watched some videos and, and they haven't really gotten into it because they don't have the baseline sort of where to come from and that's kind of the itch we're trying to um scratch with our book we're trying to aim it at people as a sort of introduction this is what you need before you'll understand any of those videos on youtube or those on the other wonderful books already on the subject by michael acevedo and um andrew brokos um and so far the reaction has been extremely good from that demographic as well people are saying that yeah they're finally getting what it's all about um which is uh which is exactly what we want to hear well, turning back to you, Lance, last uh, year you wrote an excellent article, must be said, based on an interview you had with Isai Scheinberg. Isai was and probably still is quite the visionary when it comes to poker. Uh, he grew stars from, you know, the small company they were at the beginning to having a virtual monopoly position in the online space. I think they peaked at around 71, 72 percent of the market at one point. Well, that clearly showed how good he is at his job. It's not really a great thing for poker when one company have that much of a stranglehold on the industry. Right now, we have a different sort of landscape. We've stars, GG kind of taking them on. 
And then we have WPT Global, who obviously you're working with now, uh, who are making the biggest moves in terms of growth, acquisition, development, that type of thing. Can you talk a little bit about those two different playing fields and how you feel WPT might fare in the shakeup over the next few years? Yeah, I think it's it's certainly a different time than when Esai uh, launched and took stars from that small little company we talked about to um, being a mega power in the in the industry. But there's certainly, I think, a, a a wider audience now for poker. I think the international growth of the game from the last 20 years is is proof of that. Back then, it was all about get get into the United States, and anything you else else you get from elsewhere is is gravy in it. Uh, those markets now have grown to be, you know, their own powerhouses themselves. So there's there's room now for I think multiple operators to come in and, and offer different things for different players. There's you can cater to the pros, you can cater to recreational players by doing that. You also cater to the pros. So there, there's a an opportunity I think for multiple operators to come in and really just have a um, a really good position as opposed to what we saw in say 2000 and uh, nine or ten where it was really stars just owning the space. Yeah, it really was. If you could have pinned down one quality of Isai's, obviously you had that long interview with him, as the reason for his success, what would it be? Um, that's easy, uh, because when I talked to him, I did two interviews with him about a year ago now, and when I talked to him, he kept reinforcing that it was the people that worked for him that were the reasons for his success. And that's something that a, an employer says, right? Uh, except when I went back and talked to those employees, they all said that Eastside genuinely cared about them, would still reach out to them from time to time. Um, so there was, uh, I think, a, a, a belief from Eastside in the people around him that they were going to do good things and that empowered them to, to build that company. Eastside and his, and his son get all the credit um, but when you talk to them, they give all the credit to the people that work for them. And I think that's the that's the reason that that company was so successful. There's still people that worked for Esai 15, 20 years ago that rave about him as the, the best employer they've ever had. And I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, I certainly heard similar things down the years from lots of different people, some still there and some who've moved on. Um, I mentioned their WPT a moment ago. The much-anticipated WPT win has begun now. Last week, there was a meetup game with a cast of poker superstars i know you were there can you tell us about it i've never seen anything like it um and i'm not just being the hype guy here it was there, there's as you guys know when you go to a, a major poker tournament there's some energy before uh the first hand is dealt there's some nervous energy in the first level and that slowly fades away and by the third or fourth level it's just another poker tournament where cards are in the air seat open all the good stuff um, that energy from right before the cards went in the air never went away. It didn't stop. The room was loud. Uh, I was with Jeff Walsh and we were having a conversation. He was right next to me and we couldn't hear each other. It was <laughs> constant chatter and it wasn't anybody yelling over a microphone. Matt Savage was emceeing it, but he really didn't have to do much other than, um, you know, provide a little bit of color once in a while because every table was talking, every table was having fun. Nobody was playing cutthroat poker. Um, it was really, really awesome to see just how much fun everybody in the room had. And that included, you know, Phil Ivey, who uh, showed up and was joking with players and laughing and having a good time and posing for selfies and signing the autographs, doing all the things that, you know, you want an ambassador to do. Doyle did the same thing. The the applause that Doyle got when he was announced as coming into the room, he 
showed up about an hour in, um, was standing ovation for most of the room. It was really, really loud. It was just great to see. The wind poker room was totally overtaken. And it was just uh, the energy in that room was electric. Is like It's almost cliche to say it, but that's really the only way to describe just how uh, impressive and how much fun that was. Brad and Andrew have done an amazing job of uh, building this mug into something that, you know, once you put the WPT jet booster pack on it, uh, just really is, is, is so much fun. Yeah, I think it's interesting with this one. The WPT clearly have signed some of the biggest names, some of the biggest superstars in the game. Other sites have done that over the years. In fact, a couple of them have been signed by other sites down the years. But it really seems like you guys are making these boys sing for their supper to some extent, playing 2-5 with the general public. Obviously, one way of doing that. What other content can we expect in the coming months? You mentioned Doyle Brunson there, and I hear on the grapevine that there's a documentary being made around his life and times, and it's the guys who made The Last Dance. I'm sure a lot of people saw that fabulous uh, Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary a few years back. Are you guys involved in that, or is that a separate entity that, you know, obviously there will be some overlap so there, there is a documentary that's being shot. Uh, they've got a lot of footage in the can. Um, I don't know about the involvement of the Last Dance guys. Um, I think that might be a, a, a rumor that took off and, and developed a life of its own. Ah, but okay. um, I, I've seen some of the footage and Doyle is telling stories that he's never told before. Um, and there's going to be, I believe that the plan is, and again, this is a, a company outside of ours that's doing it, but I believe the plan is that there'll be a, a long form version and then some short form version stuff that comes out to, through various channels. So, um, and there's also some work being done on the a similar tone with, with Phil Ivey. So uh, lots of stuff to look forward to in 2023 from those two, for sure. Well, fantastic stuff. Yeah, I'm glad you set the record straight if it's not those guys. I, I had heard that rumor. Maybe, it, as you said, it took on a life of its own. Dara, we are heading over to this one uh, actually on Sunday, so not too far away now, in time for the main event. And if we bust that, we'll be able to play the Mystery Bounty 2 and stay on till the end of the festival. There are a lot of qualifiers for this main event. And within that group, I've noticed a lot of players who this is definitely going to be their biggest tournament ever actually even within the Irish contingent of people going over there that we know about there are a few for whom this is definitely going to be their biggest actually I think in fact if you were to do some currency conversion back to euro this is going to be my biggest as well uh, what advice do you have for people who maybe aren't used to playing this big there's always a tension between maybe doing what will give them the better experience and what gives them their best chance I'm talking of course about being uh, in from the start where they can play deep for a while, but maybe they're better off late regging. Yeah, I mean, if this was the PSPCA, which I wrote a piece on for recre aimed at recreational players, and my advice for that very much was like max late reg, um, because you do not want to be playing against the best players in the world 200 big blinds deep. I think it's slightly different for this one, though, because um, it'll be a broader, more recreational field it's not necessarily the case that all the top tournament players in the world are going to be there, um, although a lot of them will be. But as a proportion of the field, it'll be relatively small. So I wouldn't necessarily be as hard and fast on the, on, on that advice this time. I, I still think it's incredibly profitable to Max Late Reg. But, but that said, this is an extremely good structure and you're just taking out some of the very early, very deep levels. Um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, going in from the start either. What I would say to players is, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a tournament. Um, it's the same as any other tournament. The buy-in doesn't change uh, anything other than how much money is in the prize pool. Um, there, will, there will be a lot of uh, very inexperienced recreational players there, both uh, particularly on the American side, let's say, um, WPT have done an amazing job hyping this event up. 
Um, to hit the guarantee, they need 1,500 players. There won't be 1,500 professional players or anything close to that. Um, the way they've done it as well has been extremely clever. They've given away lots of tickets. And actually, you mentioned the Irish players there for whom this will be by far their biggest buy-in. And in most cases, what happened was they they won a giveaway on Twitter um, into the satellite for the 530 because they were not even the type of people who would have played a, a 500 satellite and then they won the satellite. Then No, 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 Jared, they Then they read your book and then they played the satellite. Well, they'd already read my book. I mean, that's a given. <laughs> the entire Irish population has obviously read my book. But it has been, I mean, it feels like about half the qualifiers in WPT Global are Irish at this point. <laughs> it does it's been a ridiculous over... Uh, over performance by the Irish and that like we know about 20 people who qualified on WPT Global who are Irish um, yeah. so as you said there's going to be a very big Irish contingent there and uh, and shout out to Vinny Gavin who's already set up a, a WhatsApp group for us all Yes, I, I, I'm in that one I've noticed the, the messages flying in Lance, back to you, clearly the biggest selling point has been that record-breaking 15 million number Dara mentioned there we've talked about it with a few different people actually associated with WPT on the show over the like last month or two, uh, Ryan Beauregard was saying how it's really stressful for him. Matt Savage says he actually loves the sweat of a guarantee that might miss. Andrew Nimi was just relieved he didn't have to personally cover it if it did miss because he's had to cover quite a few at the lodge in the last few months. When you and I spoke about this tournament, I want to say it was like six months ago now, probably it had just been first announced. You ooze confidence, I must say, that it would not only hit the numbers, but probably smash it. You said the numbers guys are forensic with their maths and they've done a the standard deviations and actually in most worlds they reckon it could hit 16 million do you still feel that way i don't know if that conversation was on the record but um <laughs> uh yeah i'm pretty confident just from from seeing i mean being there last week and 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 seeing the um the way that players respond to the win in general like i think that's a that's a drawing feature for this event is that it's uh it's at such a great property and you guys have talked to ryan he is on point with uh his operations and um i don't think there's between the the, the, the marketing hype, uh, the giveaways, the qualifiers on global, I don't think there's a, a, a chance we overlay, but you, you never know in this in this market. But I, I really do think that we're going to see something really, really special when it comes to this prize pool. And it's probably going to lead to uh, bigger and better things as we move forward. So you're not, if, if it doesn't hit 16 million, you're not on the hook. Uh, I haven't checked my contract, but I don't <laughs> believe I'm on the hook. Good stuff. Well, look, from one WPT story to another, uh, last week, our friend and former guest on the show, Andy Wilson, took down the WPT Rock and Roll Poker Open in Florida. He outlasted 1,540 other entrants to win the almost 800k first prize, which included a ticket to the WPT World Poker Championships in the win. Dara, we've known Andy for quite a while. There was a certain inevitability to a result of this magnitude for him over the past few years, he's become one of the best players out there showing his worth online. He's had a handful of quite chunky scores online, but actually he's been knocking on the door of a big result like this live for the past year or so. Um, Andy's strategy segments, I think actually that might, that might be the best way to, for me to phrase it here have been two of the absolute best. I think we've ever made when, when he's mm -hmm. done strategy segments for the show, his, uh, clarity of thought and sophistication of thought is just next level. Um, to put it this way, I was trying to find a nice phrase for uh, earlier. If every poker paradigm has its own language and vernacular, he really speaks this one fluently. Um, so doubling back maybe a little bit on your book in a sort of way, Andy is a solver-based student, but he also plays very exploitatively. Can you talk a little about how those two things can be true at once? 
Yeah, absolutely. They can. I mean, the, the, the whole point about the the solver generation, as it were, like when they came up first, there was a sort of feeling that they were just GTO robots, that they went off and 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 they looked at, at millions and millions of cells and it was monkey see, monkey do. But it really isn't like that. It's more like monkey see, monkey figures out. Um, and they, 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 they start from the GTO solution as a baseline, but then they can go in any direction. They can say, well, actually, this isn't how the population actually plays. Um, you know, maybe people overfold in this spot or maybe they just never fold in this spot and then they adjust accordingly. Or maybe people call too much one bet size and fold too much to another bet size. So players like Andy have basically taught themselves how poker fundamentally works from the solvers rather than just learning off uh, loads and loads of solves. And that's that is absolutely the correct way uh, to use the solvers. Um, the goal is never to play GTO. The the goal is to understand GTO and then work from that to having a having a really good overall strategy. And you know, Andy is somebody who has completely thrown himself into in, in, into that paradigm of learning. Uh, he's he's one of the absolute masters um, of using DTO, for example. And at least one of our strategy segments with him was on DTO rather than an actual hand. And Andy was able to break down not just that this is the solution, but why this is the solution and and and, and how you can extrapolate from that uh, to other situations. And that's kind of what this generation is all about now. <clears throat> the, the, they have a much deeper fundamental understanding of poker because they understand the baseline strategy that is GTO, but they also understand when when they should diverge from that and how. Yeah, really good explanation there. Uh, on his way to that marquee result, Andy had to get through a really star-studded field, particularly in the end game, including people like Chad Evesledge, Brian Altman, and Get a Minus Useless. Undeterred, though, he absolutely mashed the opposition from two tables out. He got a lead, and he did what great players do when they get a lead on everyone. It was a little akin to Steve O'Dwyer's performance in the last Irish Open for me. Um, he just lent on everybody, put all the pressure on everybody ICM-wise. One key difference, though, from maybe uh, how Steve O'Dwyer had relatively plain sailing was once Andy got heads up with a 10-to-1 chip lead, his opponent, Jody Kay, mounted a very unlikely comeback, winning four all-ins in a row with various amounts of equity. I, I think I worked out that to win all four, Kay had about 7% shot of surviving, uh, but he did. And then he actually took the lead. He had a 60-40 lead when Andy took a, a high-wire bluff, shall we say, and did actually get looked up. In the end, though, Kay bluffed back a chunk of chips and Andy then held with Kings uh, against Kay's 8-7 on a board that I think it was maybe like 10-8-3 or 10-7-3, something like that. And uh, Andy did the important hold. Lance, did you get a chance to watch this final table? And if so, what did you make of it? I always think that there's a sort of a, a final table where everyone's competitive and then there's the kind of runaway chip leader one, which is also sort of a masterclass of sorts too sometimes to watch. Yeah, being able to watch a, a final table where one player sort of uh, has that that lead and doesn't relinquish it because they understand that there's uh, an opportunity to just continuously punish people uh, is a lot of fun. And this one in particular was was interesting for us because um, the three players you mentioned, right, they're all former WPT champions. They're all sort of uh, high profile names on the World Poker Tour. Um, and what what happened here was was exactly what you said, where one player sort of uh, used that stack as a, as the weapon it was and uh, found spots to just continue to, to crush people. Um, it's 
really interesting for us when we get a final table like that because uh the challenge becomes you know the live stream is the live stream and you're watching it as it happens but once you put the um sort of a, a highlight reel together uh you get to sort of see like wow okay he actually spent uh four hours on this day just absolutely hurting people with uh, <laughs> with that stack and um i think it's probably as we you know get towards the end of year lists that are uh, no doubt pretty common this uh this month uh we're probably going to be talking about this performance as one of the best on the wpt i think yeah quite right i think we will you're, you're spot on well from a high profile result to one which could easily have flown under the radar had i not been so determined to make it a story irish poker player paul carr completed an unlikely hat trick of results on the rejuvenated Irish Poker Tour. About 10 days ago, Paul took down the 150 quid event at Claire Morris, making it back to back to back results on the IPT. He previously got wins in Dundalk and in Limerick. Dara, Paul first made poker headlines all the way back in 2010 when he finished runner up in the Irish Open. I know he then also had a bit of a streaky patch in 2015. I think in a four month span, he won the IPC main event in Galway, the Cavan Open side events at the JP Masters and Dublin Poker Festival. And I think he also made a bing to Fitzwilliam end of the month in there as well. Can you talk a little bit about Paul, his game and this recent hot streak? First of all, I want to take issue with your use of the word rejuvenation to describe a new tour that only started next year, last year. I don't know how it... A tour, a no, tour. I didn't know. I, so so I, I can answer this one back. I did think what you think, but Fint and Gavin said, no, no, this tour has been around since 2005. Okay, fair but enough. But it just but came back. I so. guess, I get, I, yeah, okay. I guess he he means uh, IPC and, and the Macau Classic, which I just played. Yeah, okay. So it's, 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 it's been brought back to life or whatever. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Lazarus. Okay. Anyway, to talk about Paul, I was actually uh, hanging out with Paul quite a bit down in Cork this weekend at uh, the latest IPT stop, which is um, which is the the, the the also restored Macau Classic, which was there at the start of my career. It was also one k around this time of year down in Cork, and then it obviously went away during the hard times in Ireland. Great to see it back as part of the IPT, and um, I was talking to Paul about his game in general. Paul, Paul hilariously bought my three books off me at the last stop and said that he would read them as soon as he learned how to read. Um, he was obviously joking, but Paul has actually started putting serious work into his game now and study. Uh, he told me he's going to potentially start twitching in January, which will be amazing. Oh my God, amazing. It actually happens. Um, <laughs> maybe with some involvement from Feraldo as well. Um, he's been doing very well online recently as well. He, Paul has always had this amazing natural instincts, which, which you can't really teach anybody. Um, but now he's learning the other stuff as well, the technical stuff. And and his game has really come on leaps and bounds. I mean, I played with him. Um, I got very lucky. I, I actually knocked him out of both tournaments he played. But uh, he he's an incredibly difficult opponent to play against now. Um, he, he he plays just extremely well and he's very tough. Um, and he's also, it's fair to say, a high variance style. So he will have these streaks every so often. And then, and then he'll have these other patches where he's obviously in a downswing. But in terms of natural instincts, natural talent, um, Paul is right up there in Ireland. Great stuff. Well, Lance, this is obviously a bit of an Irish poker story, but it's also a grassroots poker story. The high stakes, deservedly so, get the lion's share of the attention in poker. But do you think it's important to shine a light on this kind of result, this kind of achievement, these grassroots stories? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's where the game is is seeing the biggest growth over the last even five, 10 years, probably. I mean, if you look at 
Um, I, I don't want to keep coming back to the, the schedule to win, but in the days leading up to the WPT World Championship, we have the WPT Prime Championship. It's an $1,100 buy-in. It's $2 million guaranteed. Um, that's going to be, uh, I think, the sneaky star of the festival schedule. So, And it, it speaks to the fact that there's lots of players out there for whom, like, look, for anybody, 10K should be a lot of money. Um, and so putting that up is, is a bit much, but for those that want to come out and experience it, there's an $1,100 buy-in big guarantee on the schedule with a great structure. There's lots of those tournaments now across the globe where, you know, you've got the, the 500 to the $1,500 buy-in price points where you're getting these massive fields because, uh, what the, the recreational, uh, aspirational players see is that the big names that they're most scared of aren't coming to those. And so they feel a little bit more comfortable getting in there and splashing around and, uh, and, and applying what they've, they've learned elsewhere, whether it's home games or their local casino or whatever. So I think it's important that we, you, you have those events and that also that we, you know, put a spotlight on the players that are successful in them because I, if history's any indication, they're next, right? They're going to be working their way up the ladder and they're going to be on the WPT. They're going to be playing uh, EPT, WSOP, bigger buy-in events. So I think it's important that we put a put a, a shine on them now rather than wait for them to do something at the next level and then talk about uh, their grassroots success. That's really well said. Dara, you are something of the strategy guru on the IPT. And I know one of your biggest passions in poker, it's always, you've always really had this view uh, ever since I've known you, is supporting grassroots, but also helping players of all levels and abilities to improve. I, I guess your books are part of that. But actually, I think a lot of people would testify that just knowing you and being able to run hands by you and just seeing you show up at stuff that's lower by and even though you mostly play higher by and stuff, you still support all that. Can you talk a little bit about this particular tour and what I've seen is a very ambitious schedule for 2023? Yeah, first of all, on the on, on the talking strategy, like I do remember at the start of my career when I when I would go to Vegas to the WSOP and you would look at, say, the Swedes or the Germans and you saw them interact on the French as well, saw them interact among themselves and they talked a lot of strategy and they all helped each other. It was a kind of a collective brains. And it was no surprise to me that those countries got got good very quick. Whereas, uh, you know, back 15 years ago, we had a sort of a uh, superiority complex towards those countries because they were relatively new playing poker. Um, and now they're, uh, they're right up there. And when you looked at the Irish of that generation, they guarded uh, their their poker secrets like like it was their communion money. They, they, they literally wouldn't <laughs> tell anybody anything. And uh, and I felt that that was very, very counterproductive to Ireland just developing as a as a as a poker nation. So I've always been gone the other way and and and, and, and try to encourage people to share information um, and, you know, raise the standards across the board. I think that's very important. It, it is great to see the Irish Poker Tour come back. I didn't actually realize it was it, it was a comeback. Um, because unlike a lot of you know so-called Irish poker tours, it's a genuine tour. Like it's not just Dublin, Cork, and Galway. It go, it goes to all parts of the uh, country. There's a, a stop recently in Clare Morris. Uh, there's a stop in February in Westport. Um, they have an incredibly ambitious uh, 2023 planned where they've announced guarantees of, I think, 2.6 million total across the board. Some really big events. One that's coming back is the Irish Poker Championship, which uh, that kind of was a big event when I started playing. Um, and then it became a UK IPT for a while um, and then a side event at the UK IPT and then just kind of faded away. But it's coming back as a 500 freeze out at the start of January with a quarter of a million guarantee. So that's obviously a very, very uh, aggressive guarantee as well. Um, they have some other big ones as well. Just uh, scrolling down the list for Paddy's Day, 
uh, they're running a a 50k guarantee 50 buy-in so wow. they're going to need a thousand runners basically to hit hit the guarantee on that one um so that should be absolutely huge too and then they have another thing called the monster uh at the end of april um which is 150k guarantee 150 buy-in so again you know they need a thousand runners for that so they're aiming for really really big runner fields the clarney festival clarney is always a great place to play poker um that will be back in the second half of next year and uh they're, they're, they're actually going further afield too they're going to have a stop in london um with a 150k guarantee as well um so you know the 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 definition of irish poker tour is being stretched a little bit to places where there's a large irish contingent um, oh, that's absolutely brilliant yeah absolutely. but uh yeah but I, th- I, th- I think it's going to be uh uh a great year you can you can feel a real buzz around the tour as well um you you see what what always happens on these tours, uh, if they take off, is you start to see the same faces uh, at every stop, and that's already starting with the IPT. Yeah, just thrilled to see grassroots poker shining so much. Fitton's doing a great job building that tour up. Obviously, this year there was plenty of stops. It seems like he has more than one stop a week next year. I don't know how he's going to pull it off, but uh, fair play to him. Lance, we've noticed one thing, Dara sort of alluded to it there a moment ago, that there really seems to be a sort of a juiced up live poker scene at the moment, lots of money flying around maybe. One world which overlaps quite a bit with poker is cryptocurrency, uh, a world which has seen a significant fall since this time last year, and obviously a, a couple of high profile scandals in recent weeks, most notably the collapse of FTX. How significant do you think that is to the poker economy? I know, for example, I haven't had to listen to anyone boring the shit out of me about NFTs for the last year or so. Uh, yeah, the DMs are, are are a lot cleaner these days. There's no uh, there's no sudden pitches for um, the crazy cat collectible NFT project that's going to the moon. <laughs> so uh, that's been fine. But I think there's um, you know you've got a uh, an industry a game where there's a lot of cash flowing around, and, and there are opportunities to invest that cash, whether that's in great opportunities or not. That's for the investor to decide. But I think we've seen uh, sort of the fallout. Uh, I hope it's it's reached a peak. I'm not sure it has though, um, and I think there's there's probably an effect on the poker community because a lot of players got very wealthy with the rise of Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum. So uh, I think we're we're probably in for you know another six months of seeing exactly how this plays out inside the the poker economy. But uh, I know there's a lot of people that have done very very well, and we've seen uh, we've reaped the benefits a little bit in terms of the the live poker scene. So there's certainly an overlap. Well, one final topic to discuss, and I know it's something which the three of us all have an interest in, is poker journalism. A bugbear of ours, Lance, for years has been how, with a few exceptions, you're one of of them, of course, poker doesn't really have a a media surrounding it. It has more of a trade press. And it feels like the overall standard of writing at poker news organisations has gotten worse and worse. And I suppose in line with journalism in general, it's become more of a slave to SEO. The continued decline, is it inevitable in your view or is it possible to maybe book the trend? No, I think it's I think it's possible to buck the trend. I mean, at WPT.com, just November 15th, we sort of launched a new sort of approach to what we're doing. And in the existence of the World Poker Tour, that website has served as a marketing vehicle for, uh, for the tour and its schedules and updates and player stats and profiles and whatnot. And, uh, you know, about a year ago, I started having conversations with Adam Pliska and he said, look, if you could do anything with the website, what would you do? And I said, I 
I think there's room for really good storytelling. And I think there's mm. a, an audience that wants to hear this. And I know that uh, a good friend of mine, Brad Willis over at poker.org is doing something very, very similar. And I think that um, him and I both take this pretty seriously, that there's a responsibility to raise that standard. And because as he mentioned, I, I don't know if that bar is all that high and that's unfortunate because I think this game deserves better coverage than it's gotten over the last five years, really. So uh, I think there's an opportunity to do better storytelling, to do better work. And I think there's groups, Brad's one of them. Hopefully we're one of them. I think there's some in non-English markets that are trying to do good things. So I think there's a, an opportunity here and I hope we take full advantage of it and uh, really shine a light on the game in a way that I think is uh, authentic. Well said, Dara, I'm imagining that's kind of music to your ears like it is mine to just kind of feel like there, there could be an uptick in the quality and there are people like Brad and Lance there who are sort of taking responsibility for maybe upping the standards uh, in, in the sort of niches of the industry that they happen to be in. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, but, um, yeah, it's very much music to my ears. It, it, it has been sad to witness sort of the decline of poker news. Um, to what it's become now, which is not much better than just a series of ads. Um, and it, I, I, I also like Brad's, uh, sorry, Lance's point about uh, non-English speaking markets. I think that's very, very true. Um, I know from sort of direct experience, for example, that the French market is still very well served by a lot of uh, their media. And and you actually see that because you know the the, the that has a knock-on effect to everything else. Um, the, the the prime consumers of my blog these days, bizarrely, are are the French, um, and they're not even English speaking. And my blog is in uh, is is in English, obviously, and it's also the country where the book is selling the best. Um, there's a huge demand, uh, which is being very well served by their local media. I think the same is also true of uh, Spanish and Portuguese markets. Um, and those are very important markets, you know, with the particularly South America being an, emer a, an emerging market for poker. Um, so it's so it's it's not all doom and gloom, but in the English speaking world, yeah, it 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 certainly has sort of hit a low point. And it's great that that people like Lance and and Brad Willis are 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 looking actively to raise the standards. And just one follow up there. Obviously, what we do when we write, Dara, you and I, like I don't think it could be called journalism. In fact, I'm sure. Uh, Lance would be sure it's not journalism because I don't even know when a conversation's on or off the record as I proved today already. Um, but like, where do you place, I suppose it, it's content made by people who are playing the game um, and, 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 and sort of how that fits in the landscape. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Barry said to me years ago that he kind of realized that actually poker players would rather read stuff written by other poker players um, when push comes to shove, even if that isn't journalism. And we certainly are not journalism. And sometimes people have made criticism of my blog saying this is terrible journalism and I'm like you're not you're, you're accusing me of something I would never ever claim to be it's a very personal blog it's clear that these are my own opinions um I am not I, I should not be held to any journalistic standard at all because it's 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 just my opinion but I think that has a, has a place uh, in the overall uh, content space as well but we still need journalism um and and and, and that's where people like Lance and Brad come in uh because we don't want it just to become that the only content out there is blogs and people's opinions. Um, we we, st we still do need good old-fashioned journalism. Well said. And Lance, just to maybe finish with you on, on this one, 
sort of similar point like how would you place like within the WPT team you've obviously got great vloggers that's where it actually stands out as some of your content creators that, that you've got all the best ones basically but you know the written word is still like a precious thing to many people and I'm sure we would all agree with that do you, do you think that there will be room to have like bloggers or you know content creators within your team who who might supplement what the journalists do yeah, I think with when you when you mentioned creators, which in our case is is Brad and Andrew, I think the one thing we talked about with them when they first came on board is we please don't change. Don't mm. don't become anything different than what's gotten you here. And because they're so authentic in their voice, right? And whether you're writing first person accounts of poker trips or you're uh interviewing Isai Scheinberg and writing about him, the authenticity of that voice is the utmost importance. And we never want to get away from that. So there's always going to be room for the player's voice in what we do. Um, but what we don't want to do is make it seem like it's a, um, a corporate mandated um, opportunity, right? It's, uh, hey, I went to this card room in this city and this was the meetup game. Here's some hands from it. Here's what we did afterwards. It was great. Whereas the stuff that we're looking to do on WPT.com is I want to introduce you to those, those players that maybe you don't know, the, um, the Jesse Lonuses of the world or... Uh, the likes. So I think there's there, there's always going to be room for every piece of content because the the great thing about the internet is it's a it's a cost equalizer, right? If a player really wants to get the word out, uh, it's nine ninety nine for a domain and about four bucks a month for hosting, and they're off and running. Now, if they're uh, writing great stuff and they want a bigger audience, that's when they can showcase to us or Brad or whoever, hey, maybe my stuff would make sense for your audience. And that, that's when we take a look at it. And I think there's certainly opportunities for that as we go forward. But there's uh, there's multiple ways of, of writing about poker. And, and you guys are right that you know not all of it is journalism. Some of it is, is first-person accounts. And I think that's super important because people relate to that really, really well. Really well said and a nice note to finish on. Before we go, I want to do a quick shout out. It only happened just a few hours ago, so I didn't get a chance to properly prep any uh, chat on this one. But our great pal and, uh, you know, a guy who's contributed on this show many times uh, in the past, Jamie Nixon, just took down the GUKPT in London for 94k sterling. Delighted for him. I think it's probably a, a, his best score ever. Dara, your reaction to that result? Yeah, absolutely thrilled as well. Jamie, Jamie's a really hardworking guy, a guy who's gone about his career the right way. He's worked really hard, a uh, former student of mine from back in the BRS days, um, but he's really kicked on and he's continued to work hard, not just at the poker, but also the other stuff. He's an ambassador for that tour. Um, he, he, he does a lot of coaching as well. Very, very hardworking, um, kind of guy who will can say with 99.9% uh confidence he'll never be involved in a scandal um just a really good ambassador for the game as well a very popular guy interacts very well with with, with the people he plays so always thrilled um to see jamie do well yeah he's a total gent i believe you have one quick bit of news for us before we go as well on maybe the coaching streaming kind of stuff yeah, one the, the one quick piece is I, I constantly get asked if I'll ever do Twitch, and I constantly say no because um, first of all, I'm not sure I'm I'm, I'm that suited to that format, but it's just incredibly. You, you saw to... you saw how sad it made me. For a year. I saw how sad it made you. Yeah, this is the other thing. You you were almost suicidal in your in Twitch stretch, so uh, that, that that was a particularly bad example. But I am doing my first ever live play stream um, on Wednesday for for us jack at coaching.com so you have to be a member but it will be live live um it won't even be on a delay um and i will basically just be playing a bunch of tables and explaining my thought process um as i play for about four hours so for anybody who ever has had the urge to 
think what I would be like on Twitch, this is probably the best opportunity you're going to get. If it goes well, obviously we might do some more. Um, it's uh, thankfully it's well timed this time. Uh, Wednesday there's no football uh, clashing with it. Oh, Last clever. webinar I did for um, for Faraz on post lop ICM clashed with the England versus USA match, which was horrendous timing. Um, it was very noticeable that there was zero interaction from students. I'm pretty sure they were all watching the match and just glancing at me every so often um, <laughs> and, and and maybe going to watch it on the replay. But yeah, no football this time. So uh, as I said, you have to be a member. If you, want, if you do want to sign up, I will tweet out uh, a link that gets you a 15% discount. So just go to my Twitter. Great stuff. Well, look, it remains for me to thank our special guest this week, Lance Bradley. We really appreciate all your fantastic insights, Lance. Hey, thanks for having me on. I really do uh, enjoy these. So thanks. No, no problem. And Dara, thank you as usual. And I guess next time I see you, we'll be in London on our way to Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. Very much looking forward to uh, hearing you complaining about your bad back the whole way across the Atlantic. <laughs> I'm sure it will fall on deaf ears like any of my complaints. To oh, you. No, I mean, it's going to be, as I said to you before we start, it's going to be great fun for me because I'll feel zero empathy. So it'll just be amusing. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Take care.